A spontaneous and unrehearsed interview. Welcome to episode 63 of Curiosityness. I am the host, Travis DeRose. And this episode I have on Ann Muller of Cash. And Cash is the committee to abolish sport hunting, uh, which I was curious to talk to her about because, uh, you know, there's kind of two sides. It's a divisive issue of, you know, pro hunting and against hunting. And, you know, obviously Cash is against hunting and they want to abolish sport hunting. Um, so it was really nice to get her, her uh, opinion and, and viewpoint. And um, she taught me a lot of things that I didn't realize and understand and uh, I hope you give this episode a chance and and listen to Anne and listen to her viewpoint and, and things she has to share because she knows a lot about this stuff so uh, without further ado let's get to the episode here is Anne Muller of the committee to abolish sport hunting hello how's it going Anne thank you Travis it's going well how are things going there Oh, it's good. It's great here. We're, I'm in California right now. It's great here. How, where are you at? We're in New York. Okay. Yeah. Is it hot? Is it hot so there right now? Very hot. Yeah. Yeah. And stormy too. That sounds. But fun. we don't have earthquakes, so that's uh, a good. <laughs> are you anywhere near the earthquakes? I hope not. Uh, we were like we were a few hundred miles away, but it was you could still feel it pretty pretty good Real. yesterday. Yeah, it was a wow. little little shocking, but. It's always fun. Imagine. Yeah. Wow. Yeah. I have friends there. I have to call and see how they're doing. If they're there, I mean, mm-hmm. I'm assuming they are. Yeah. Yeah. No, it's always like we were uh, on the fifth floor of a building, especially too, yesterday when it hit. So it's like you can really feel that thing rolling when it happens. Yeah. Wow. Yeah. I was in an earthquake in California many, many years ago. Uh-huh. And uh, it was the day I was flying back to New York, and it was just about, I think, a 3.2. They called it a tremor, oh, okay. but it was three, something like three on the Richter scale, and it was pretty severe. So yeah. I can't imagine what a seven would be. Really bad. <laughs> yeah, it's definitely fun. It's something I think everyone should get to experience at least one earthquake in their life. <laughs> Um, okay. <laughs> yeah. Wow. Well, I didn't think we'd be talking about earthquakes right off, but uh, <laughs> let's get into it. So you are, I guess, you, how are you involved with, with CASH, the Committee to Abolish Sport Hunting? Okay. Well, uh, right now I'm the editor of the CASH Courier, mm-hmm. which I don't know if it will show well that yeah. this is publication. Nice. And uh, it's it's online as well. Uh, so, you know, I'm more used to writing than I am to speaking, but <laughs> be happy to uh, give, it a, give it a whirl. Right, no. <laughs> That's great. Um, okay, and then can you just kind of give me a, a rundown overview of what CASH is and kind of your mission statement and all that? Yeah, CASH is... Uh, stands for the Committee to Abolish Sport Hunting. And the mission statement pretty much says that that's our goal, mm-hmm. to abolish sport hunting. Uh, we admit that it's an uphill battle, but uh, we feel that it's definitely worth pursuing because uh, 
you know, we have a lot of impacts from sport hunting. Mm-hmm. Now, you had mentioned that you had a lot of friends who hunted and, um, you know, that they were curious about cash. Did you say that? Well, I, I don't I don't really don't know any hunters. Um, I had a guy on no. the podcast here previously who was a hunter and kind of told me about it and gave me his view and stuff. But yeah, in California, at least in the L.A. area, I know like zero hunters. That's good. Yeah. Uh, <laughs> yeah. Well, you know, I mean, in addition to the cruelty uh, to wildlife, there are many impacts, and a lot of people really don't understand um, how our wildlife management agencies are linked to the firearms industry. And um, that happens because there is an excise tax on firearms and ammunition, and now more recently, bows and arrows. And the excise tax. Um, is collected by, by the Fish and Wildlife Bureau. Well, it's, it ends up with the Fish and Wildlife Bureau. Mm-hmm. And um, the purpose is to reward states for the amount of hunting that they uh, can create in a state. So, um, you know, there, the excise tax on all firearms will go to the Fish and Wildlife Service, regardless of whether the victim is a human victim or an animal victim. So a lot of people don't get that crime that's committed with firearms in the cities uh, will simply go to promote more hunting or more use of firearms. Oh, interesting. Right. Yeah, I had no idea about that. Yeah. So, okay. So the, I'm sorry, what was, what was the, it was the fish and hunting? No. What was uh, the name? Yeah. The fish and wildlife service. That's the national service. Uh And uh, they collect all the excise taxes on firearms and ammunition, bows and arrows. And then they give a portion of the excise tax to the wildlife bureaus of each state, uh-huh. depending on the number of hunting licenses they sell. Um, but at the same time, the states have to uh, contribute a matching amount for what they get from the Fish and Wildlife Service. Um, it's a 25% matching amount, and that comes out of the state uh, general fund. Uh, okay. Now that means that um, that's money that usually goes to uh, health care, education, things like that, mm-hmm. uh, that benefit the general public, but right. instead it's going to create more hunting opportunity. Okay. So I guess, yeah, what are the, so when the state, the fish and wildlife get the money and then they give it to the states and everything, what do the states do with the money? How is that, how does that go to create more hunting opportunities, I guess? Um, Because what they do is they manipulate wildlife populations. Um, They create overpopulations of wildlife Uh through biological tricks. 
Um, for example, they take out males, and that leaves you know an abundance of females, mm-hmm. and um, they're the breeding stock. So that creates more targets, basically. Oh, I see. And so, what's why? Why would they do that? What's the incentive for them to do that? Um, so they have to create hunting opportunity. And that, of course, means creating an overpopulation of wildlife. Um, Because think about it. I mean, it's unsustainable to have hunters go out into the fields and the forests, um, kill unlimited numbers of animals. Well, there are limits to what they can kill, of course. But Uh they cannot sustain it unless they're also building up those populations. Okay. And they normally have to build them fairly high uh, because in addition to hunters, you have other impacts on wildlife. You have cars that take out a lot of wildlife. Mm-hmm. You also have poachers that take out a certain amount of wildlife. So they build those populations high and they have an impact on people, on parks, on, you know, farms, on orchards. I mean, they're definitely impacting uh, the general public for a small minority that enjoys hunting. Wow, interesting. Okay, so I never heard that. That's not really spread, I guess, that they're purposely, that the population is purposely being increased just so more people can go hunting. Exactly. I see. Exactly. And then so, oh, go ahead. Yeah. Um, So when they do that, you know, um, when people start to complain, for example, about too many Canada geese in the parks or too many deer Mm -hmm. (laughs) eating landscaping or, you know, going into farm areas, what they'll do is they'll contact their good buddies from the um, USDA. It's called Wildlife Services. And then they come in and call And, you know, so the animals, you know, just don't stand a chance. They're either getting killed by hunters or they're getting called by another agency. Right. So it's the it's the state agencies who are. Is is it the state agencies, I guess, who are going in there and kind of and increasing the populations for hunters? Yeah, it depends on the species, but yes, uh, for most species, with the exception of migratory waterfowl, um, they are controlling the the hunting within their state. Okay. When it comes to, say, Canada geese or other migratory waterfowl, Mm -hmm. uh, then uh, the federal government gets involved and they have, have to act cooperatively with other states. Oh. For example, um, with Canada geese, you have um, their management comes under the flyways, and there are four flyways in mm-hmm. the country. So in the east, it's the Atlantic flyway, in the west, it's the Pacific flyway. Okay. And it's all the states within the flyway uh, that make a decision about how many geese can be killed and what the seasons will be. So if they're migrating south, then the northern states can only shoot so many to allow 
others to go farther south to be shot as they migrate down. So it's totally worked out, totally managed, totally yeah. concocted. Wow. And so, okay, I guess, I guess I just don't understand why the, what's the incentive for the state agencies to to do that for hunters, to increase the population? Is it that they make more money from hunting licenses then? Yeah, well, in uh, 1937, there was an act called the Pittman-Robertson Act, uh-huh. and it was that act that put the wildlife management agencies uh, into the hunting business. It actually created the agencies at that point. Um, And it was this link to the firearms industry that was, you know, proves to be so fatal (laughs) uh, wildlife. Um, So what it did is it gave them a source of income uh, but they had to um, manage wildlife for hunting or for the use of firearms and ammunition mm-hmm. and in order to collect that tax. So um, basically a state has to sell a lot of hunting licenses in order to get um, the excise tax, and the more they sell, the more excise tax they get. I see. Um, yeah, so that's really, you know, what links them to the firearms industry. Okay. And, um, but, you know, I think the, you know, when you compare the three major excise taxes, which are firearms, alcohol, and tobacco, hmm and take a look at the differences between the firearms excise tax and the other two, um, that's when you really start to see, I think, what's going on. Because with alcohol and tobacco, uh, all those excise taxes go to the general fund of the state. Mm-hmm. And then legislators of the state can use those funds for education, for health care, for you name it, things that, you know, are useful to the general public. Yeah. Whereas the excise tax on firearms goes only to the Bureau of Wildlife. Oh. And to make matters worse, they actually pull money out of the general fund in order to provide a 25% matching amount for the firearms excise tax that they get. Okay. Uh, that's part of the act, and uh, they will not get the, uh, the apportionment from the Fish and Wildlife Service if they can't come up with a 25% matching amount. Now, if you can imagine um, a bureau of alcohol whose sole purpose is to promote more drinking so that they can collect higher and higher tax tax money for this bureau that has the only purpose, uh, their only purpose is to promote more drinking. I mean, it's absolutely outrageous. Yeah. You know, the public would not tolerate it, and yet it's totally tolerated, not even really understood at all 
uh, when it comes to firearms and hunting. Okay. I see. That kind of makes more sense. And then, so what do, you know, the Fish and Wildlife um, Bureau and and then giving it to the states and everything, do they, I mean, do they do anything positive in, in your eyes or in Cash's eyes with that money, or is it all sort of negative? It's totally negative. I mean, you know, if, if you uh, understand that uh, when these massacres that, you know, have occurred recently, um, they're all uh, committed with firearms, and that money, that excise tax that's placed on the firearms and ammunition goes directly to the Fish and Wildlife Service to create more use of firearms. I mean, it's truly outrageous. Um, You know, I mean, we feel that uh, people who are the victims of firearms crime should be tapping into that tax and should be using it for their health care, for their family's well-being, you know, for funerals, whatever. Mm-hmm. But they should not, um, you know, this has to be exposed. Yeah. That, um, you know, that the money, you know, you have to follow the money and say, hey, um, somebody's getting something out of this. Mm-hmm. And who's getting something out of this but the wildlife management agencies and the Fish and Wildlife Service? Yeah. Well, because, I mean, just myself, when I hear, you know, the Fish and Wildlife Service, it sounds like a positive thing. And, you know, they're trying right. to preserve the, you know, the populations and help with wildlife. But that's right. not necessarily the case, huh? Well, no, not at all. And, in fact, um, we have another organization called Wildlife Watch, and we operate a wildlife hotline for injured northern wildlife and try to find uh, rehabbers wherever they're needed. Mm-hmm. Uh, and so many people call and say um, that they first called the Wildlife Management Agency of the state to try to get help, and they were told either to let wild, let nature take its course, that mm-hmm. the animal die, or if we come out, we'll kill, we'll have to euthanize the animal. And it, it's their first uh, understanding that wildlife management agencies are not what they're cracked up to be. Yeah. You know, basically, they're totally indifferent to wildlife. If it cannot be hunted, it's off their radar. And that leads to other problems because when they're the main people managing wildlife, and they're only managing for less than 1% of all wildlife, and that's the huntable uh, game species, mm-hmm. then all of the other wildlife, unfortunately, is suffering. Yeah. Um, and the, the ecology suffers as well. So uh, there was a group, um, I think they're still around, called Watchable Wildlife. And their goal was to kind of to try to get a department within the game agencies for the sole purpose of wildlife watching. Mm-hmm. And unfortunately, it you know really didn't go any place. Um, I used to go to their conferences. They had to call them off because you know they're not being well funded. Mm-hmm. So part of the problem is that 
the incentive isn't there. The people who become managers are themselves hunters, um, and they have no incentive whatsoever to uh, convert the form of management from uh, one based on firearms use to one based on, say, wildlife watching, where um, an excise tax, for example, can be put on, uh, you know, cameras and camping equipment, tents, et cetera. Mm-hmm. Uh, you know, that, that really would make a lot more sense and it would serve the general public. Okay. Okay. So um, let's review this just real quick. So to make sure I'm, I'm on the right page. So uh, the, there's the firearms tax, which is basically all firearms, um, whether it's for hunting or, or whatever. And that goes right. to the, the Fish and Wildlife Service. Right. Correct. And then they yes. they use that and then also distribute it to like states wildlife agencies, correct? Exactly. exactly. Okay. And then the states and the Fish and Wildlife Service are incentivized to increase hunting uh in their their jurisdiction so that yes. they sell hunting licenses to make money as well as more firearms to get more of that firearms tax. Exactly. Okay. So exactly. It seems, huh? So is this all like? Can we just get rid of the Fish and Wildlife Service? <laughs> that would be great, um, but they're pretty entrenched, okay. and uh, you know there are a lot of people involved in the service. Uh-huh. Um, there are a lot of people making money. Yeah. And, you know, you can't just sue it. I mean, we did uh, realize that we needed to have some teeth to what we were doing. And uh, we founded the League of Humane Voters, where we could get involved with electioneering and lobbying. Mm -hmm. And we thought, wow, you know, now we have the ability, you know, to really make a difference instead of just jumping up and down on the streets. Um, and it unfortunately is, um, you know, going very slowly. Yeah. Uh, we have one bill in New York, which is, you would think that it would pass, uh, in one session. Um, and it's to stop wildlife killing contests. They're actually contests where people are, um, given prizes for the largest animal or the uh, the heaviest animal or the heaviest aggregate of animals. Mm-hmm. And, you know, it's so outrageous. I mean, they're given a keg of beer. They're very often sponsored by bars and, you know, in a party-like atmosphere. And they have to go out and kill and bring back their kills. And, um you know, you would think that something like that could pass, but that's not even passing in New York. So, um, you know, it's uh, it's really just a very slow process. I think that what the legislators have to understand is that the general fund is being siphoned by the wildlife management agencies of the state mm-hmm. and the public should really start demanding that not a penny goes for, you know, to that agency. 
Yeah. Man, oh man, I had no idea. So, okay. So, but it, I mean, it, I know it's, it's basically impossible maybe, but um, if we just got rid of the Fish and Wildlife Service, if they were just gone, that would be, would that be a win um, in your eyes? Well, it would be a great win, but, um, you know, at this point, you don't know, you know, who would come in. I, I think there has to be a transition um, away from firearms, excise taxes to, you know, other types of excise taxes on non-consumptive items. Okay. So, you know, user items like cameras and knapsacks and, you know, camping equipment and okay. things that people use who just want to go out and enjoy nature. I see. Um, and then once it has some funding, uh, you know, then I think a lot of progress can be made and, you know, the bad guys really can be squeezed out of this. Um, okay. And the whole system can change. I also think that when uh, people in cities, and not just cities, or people in rural areas whose homes are shot into, their propane tanks are shot into, they themselves have been killed by bullets that can travel a mile and a half and be lethal um, if they're unobstructed. Yeah. And, you know, it, it's kind of scary that, you know, they um, have no recourse uh, because if they go to law enforcement and there are people who have and they've contacted us, um, then law enforcement actually starts to threaten them, uh, letting them know that hunting is perfectly legal activity and that uh, they basically telling them they have no rights uh, to stop it. Hmm. And being extremely unhelpful, there was one, she was an attorney, and she called us and said that, uh, you know, there were five trespassing hunters on her property. She has 100 acres in Pennsylvania. Mm -hmm. She told them to get off. They, they brought in uh, the NCON officers from the state, environmental conservation officers, and they threatened her with arrest for, uh, you know, telling these people to leave. Mm -hmm. So, you know, there's, there's just a lot of abuse um, that's, that goes on that's associated with this. Yeah. And, you know, but I think if people start to demand some of that excise tax money, uh, especially the handgun uh, excise tax, then... Um, you know, for victims of gun crime and the families, mm -hmm. then I think it will make a huge dent in the money that uh, that they take in. Okay. So, uh, okay. So with, with a better maybe, or kind of what you guys, it sounds like are kind of proposing is to change the incentive for the Fish and Wildlife Service, uh, yes. you know, okay. To not, not have their incentive be for more hunting so they can get more money, but have it be off of, you know, whatever the solution would be, whether it's, you know, a, an extra tax on camping equipment and stuff like that. Exactly. Okay. Uh, to manage for wildlife watching. Okay. I understand. That makes sense. And then, so 
I don't know how far back this goes or, or whatever, if you're, if you know this history, but, um, like when the fish and wildlife service was initially created, was it created with good intentions to, um, help wildlife? Uh, no, um, no, ever since, uh, the Pittman Robertson act, Uh uh, you know, happened, which was 1937. Mm -hmm. Um, Basically, that was what put them into the firearms business. And the ones that really thought about it um, were hunters themselves, and they were trying to create a system that would allow them to hunt. They entrenched themselves within the government. In my opinion, they're really a a rogue... um, government entity that it shouldn't even be there. They don't function uh, like any other part of government. They are totally self-serving and they don't contribute anything to the general public. In fact, they siphon funds from the general fund. Yeah. So they're not a real entity. It's really a private enterprise operating within the government. Yeah, I can see that. But I don't but even did the Fish and Wildlife Service exist before they were linked to the firearms industry like that with the tax? No, I think that it all kind of came about at the same time. Um and the reason that I think they have a somewhat glossy image is that um you know, prior to laws and regulations, uh, all based on firearms and what they called legitimate hunting, you had market hunting. Mm-hmm. Uh, this was at the time of Teddy Roosevelt, and you know, uh, he was very involved in you know the, the form that wildlife management has taken today. Um, and, you know, he used to see the decimation of, of the buffalo and um, just market uh, hunting where people, you know, hunters were going out and killing animals for profit and selling the skins directly, selling, you know, using the byproducts. And there were, there were no controls at all. Yeah. So what they did is they put controls on everything. Uh, still killing wildlife, but at least it was controlled killing. Yeah. And so people think, oh, gee, look at how great they are. And then they started to uh, restore wildlife um, and, you know, from the decimated uh, populations, they began to bring back the wild turkey, bring back, uh, you know, deer and bring back all the animals that that had been uh, shot out. Mm -hmm. And so they had some positive, um, (laughs) you know, uh, image from that. But they didn't know what they were really all about and how they had, you know, connected themselves to the firearms industry. Yeah. Well, I mean, that was totally my perception of it because I had never looked into it or learned about it. And that's the that's kind of argument you always hear from hunters is it's like, well, they always say that they're the money they spend on uh, their equipment and their their uh, licenses always goes back to the Fish and Wildlife Service and preserving populations and helping the wildlife, which you're like, well, that sounds good. But 
(laughs) you know, when you really dig into it, they're only helping the, the animals that can be hunted. Right. Man. And yeah, so that's really the, um, you know, the problem. And I hope that your listeners may, you know, get in touch with us because we'll be happy to supply more info and, uh, you know, perhaps they can start to investigate, you know, their own agencies and see if there is something they can do legislatively. They might want to work with League of Humane Voters or CASH or, you know, Wildlife Watch Mm -hmm. and see how we can really change wildlife management into something that's beneficial for people and good for wildlife. Um, Because, you know, just from a cruelty perspective, um, it's outrageous. And I'm sorry that Jim Robertson, who's the president of Cash, couldn't be on because he has a great book called Exposing the Big Game, yeah. uh, Living Targets of a Dying Sport. And, um, you know, that's a book that we'll be happy to get out to anybody who calls. But um, you know, he really feels that we've lost our ability to connect with wildlife. Um, and that's what he's trying to engender in people, a feeling that these are unique animals um, and they each, you know, they have their own families, they have their offspring, they have their parents. It's, they're like people. Mm-hmm. And, you know, we would like to see them respected and um, valued for what they are as individuals, not just considered species um, and, you know, have a season as a place where they can be killed. No, it's really not the way to be treating our brothers in the forest. Mm -hmm. Well, it's like, you know, it's... It's kind of scary because I I thought we had, you know, a a government agency, I guess, or some uh, an agency that was well funded that was kind of, you know, watching out for, you know, the eco, the environments and and wildlife and everything like that and making sure we as humans weren't messing everything up too much. But we don't there's nothing really like that going on then right now, is there? No, not at all. And I know what you mean, because when I first uh, realized what was going on, I was shocked because prior to that, I used to think, oh, if I ever saw anyone with a gun shooting an animal, I would just call the wildlife people of the state and surely they would come out and arrest the person. Um, I had no idea they were actually behind it all. So, you know, people are surprised when they find out that, you know, wildlife is managed for hunting. Yeah. And anyone who complains about it, they're the guilty ones. You know, they're the bad guys. (laughs) So, yeah. It's got to stop. So, is there, I mean, are there any, I'm sure there's a bunch, but is there somewhere you can direct people to maybe see the, like some some resources that people can look at themselves that are you know credible and stuff I guess where they can see how the funding works and everything mm-hmm. and that firearms tax and all that stuff 
Uh, yeah, they can actually Google it and, uh, you know, they can go right to the wildlife agencies. Um, but there is one book, um, it's called Restoring America's Wildlife. Mm-hmm. And I think they can even get a free copy from the U.S. Fish and Wildlife Service. And it reads like an expose. I mean, you know, they're very proud of this history that they're uh, writing about. But to me, it's an expose of what hunting is all about and how it's promoted uh, by the agencies. They're the beneficiaries of it and uh, the promoters of it. Um, you know, if you look at any of the state, uh, you know, rules and regs of hunting for the year, you know, if you just go to any state uh, office and ask for that, uh, you're going to see uh, ads for firearms, ammunition, bows, arrows, and, you know, see the connection right there. Yeah. You, wow. you see nothing about helping animals in distress. In fact, it takes us forever to find wildlife rehabbers, um, and they're licensed by these departments, but they don't put them, uh, you know, in any visible way on their websites mm-hmm. because they don't value wildlife rehabilitation. Right. They only value killing and hunting. Man, oh man. Okay, so okay, I, I think I'm I'm really understanding this. This is great. I think you've done a great job of explaining it and everything. And um, I think people listening are understanding and can go learn some more about this and and understand how the Fish and Wildlife Service actually works as and and is incentivized. Um, but I'm curious about what you know. What does what do you guys at Cash kind of think, or what's your viewpoint on? Um, like meat for human consumption? Um, Personally, I'm vegan. I know that, uh, you know, Jim is vegan. um, And we uh, don't really get into it as an organization. Okay. Um, But I do know that wildlife is not managed for uh, subsistence hunting it's managed for sport hunting mm-hmm. um, and there are very few subsistence hunters or people that would truly qualify you know I mean even if people say that they eat what they kill um, that doesn't qualify them to be true subsistence hunters I mean if you're living in Antarctica and, you know, you have nothing else except uh, a penguin or a seal, I guess, then then maybe, you know, that might be subsistence hunting, but uh, most hunting wouldn't qualify at all as subsistence hunting. Okay. And subsistence hunt, can you define subsistence hunting for me? Yeah, it just means that uh, you, you need in order to subsist, you need whatever is there that you can get. You know, you either don't have any money at all, 
or you're in an area that um, can't, where you can't grow food, mm-hmm. um, only have some animals to eat. But, you know, uh, we just don't address that. Okay, I see. Yeah, that's kind of a whole nother, a whole yeah. other issue with factory farming and all that stuff, isn't it? Yes. Yeah. Yes. Okay. Man. Okay. So what? So is is the mission of Cash to um, completely abolish hunting? Completely, or is there like a middle ground that you know, uh, in real life, they're trying to to get to? Or what's you know? I guess what's the real yeah. ultimate goal? The ultimate goal is to abolish sport hunting. Okay. Um, to stop the way wildlife is being managed, um, and to try to uh, you know direct it more or entirely to wildlife watching for the general public. It'll be better for wildlife. It'll keep the populations down. It will sever the link to the firearms industry. Um, and that's really the goal mm-hmm. of cash and it'll stop the cruelty. Yeah. Um, you know, that's probably what motivated this to start with. Yeah, man. Okay. So what's, you know, I, you know, talking to, with like, uh, renewable energy and, and things like that, like global warming issues, you know, people can kind of they're encouraged to kind of vote with their wallet and buy, you know, uh, solar panels and stuff like that. And they can do little things like that. What's, is there something like that, that people can do, you know, just themselves and make a a small change that'll add up to something big? Or is it, do we really need like a big change in the, the legislature and how, how they're funded? Yeah, I think we need a big change in the legislature. Um, and that's the only thing that is really going to stop it. Yeah. Um, but you know, I mean, maybe getting a little off topic since you mentioned it, I think becoming vegan is one of the most important things that people can do. Mm -hmm. Um, now I have heard of, well, I don't know if you're vegan entirely, but vegetarians, I have heard that some vegetarians hunt for I don't know what reason. Hmm. But uh, in general, I, I think that climate change, you know, is definitely affected by, you know, how we're treating animals in general and especially food animals. Yeah. So, um, you know, but that's not my subject right now. Yeah. But it, yeah. it's it's always interesting how everything is interrelated. You know, one thing is it's always cause and effect on everything, you know? Yes. Yeah. Absolutely. You're right. Okay. So, I mean, do you have a, is there an ask or um, anything we can ask of, a, you know, people listening right now? You said we can, you know, is it just to spread the word? We can look into becoming vegan. What can we do? Yeah. um, Well, I would love for people to contact us. Uh, Our website is abolishsporthunting.org. Sorry. Mm -hmm. Um, We have another one, wildwatch.org, and we have LOHV, League of Humane Voters.org. And if they want to contact me directly, um, I'd be happy to respond. And that's wildwatch at verizon.net. So, you know, we'd love to hear from people and, you know, see how we can get more people actively 
uh, going for change uh, to the way wildlife is treated and uh, stopping wildlife management in its current form. Mm-hmm. And I think through the money aspect, um, especially for legislatures who are, you know, always worried about budgets and so on, I, I think we have a strong case there. Yeah, definitely. Man, cool. Well, thank you for being on, Anne. I really appreciate you coming on and sharing this stuff. And I think you did a great job of explaining it and making it digestible and easy for people to understand. So thank you. Oh, well, thank you so much for having us. Really appreciate the opportunity and look forward to hearing it on air. Yes, of course. (laughs) Thank you. Yeah, thank you. Well, there you go. I hope you enjoyed this episode and learned a lot from Anne and, uh, you know, kind of the whole industry of uh, sport hunting and and where they're coming from and everything like that. So thanks for listening. I know I learned a lot. Thanks for coming on, Anne. Appreciate it. Uh, And if you enjoyed this episode, I'd love it if you shared this with your friends and family and social network, just like I always ask. Uh, We're on social media. And by we, I mean just me, Travis, but I'm on there at uh, Curiosityness Podcast on uh, Instagram and on Facebook and Twitter, too, as some other handles, which I'm not sure of. But uh, they're on my website at curiosityness.com. You can send me an email with your thoughts, opinions, and suggestions for new stuff uh, to Travis at curiosityness.com. But uh, thank you for being here and listening to this episode and, and joining me on the curiosityness journey. All right, talk to you later. Bye.